Mindfulness Mode, Episode 10. We will remember holding a special person in our life and holding their hand or hearing the laughter of a child. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Today we're talking with Mark Dillon, who's an expert at organizing and works at the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. Last time we talked to JJ Fazanes. She's a personal trainer and host of the Fit to Love podcast show. If you know any professionals who want to increase their focus and be more calm, talk to them about subscribing to Mindfulness Mode podcast. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for the great feedback on iTunes. I want to thank Chris at Rock Your Research, a reviewer named New to Music Land, and Nick at Five Minutes with Dad. If you think we're a great show, get your own name mentioned on an upcoming episode by leaving an iTunes rating and review. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. It's a complete pleasure today to introduce my guest, Mark Dillon. Mark, are you in mindfulness mode? Bruce, I'm in mindfulness mode. Fantastic. For over a decade, Mark Dillon has worked at some of the largest and oldest mindfulness retreat centers in the Western world with thousands of visitors every year. Mark is well known for his excellent work at organizing everything that goes on at these events. Mark is also a speaker and podcaster on his regular popular podcast, Organize Mindfully. Mark, When did you know you were first interested in mindfulness? When in your life did that come to you, that mindfulness was going to be part of your day-to-day life? Well, it really came out of what I've seen happens for a lot of people, out of suffering. I was dealing with a lot of anxiety and dealing with a lot of stress. And somebody turned me on to the work of John Kabat-Zinn, and I started to get into his book and started looking at his program and just connected deeply with the mindfulness part. It just worked for me. Oh, and John Kabat-Zinn is amazing, isn't he? He really is. He's done incredible work. And you look at the way that he has spread mindfulness through the world to show that it's just being present in this moment. It doesn't have to do with any kind of religious beliefs or anything. Just be present to this moment. So you are having some challenges in your life. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Sure. I was dealing with really a lot of stress and anxiety and classic, complete panic attacks. I mean, run to the hospital. I think I'm having a heart attack. They think I'm having a heart attack. They're hooking me up to machines. They're looking at everything. And really, through a lot of work and making sure that it wasn't anything physical, we discovered that it was really based around stress and dealing with the anxiety. And so that was the beginning point for me to get into mindfulness because the natural reaction of the medical community at that time was, well, take some medication. That will work. That will take care of it. And I was just had this sense like, I don't think that's right. You know, it's stress. What could I do differently? And so just through a lot of different exploring, understood and, and found John's work. So that was what made the difference for me. So then did you have a mindfulness coach or did you entirely do it through reading John Kabat-Zinn's material? 
Well, I had the great fortune of um, I'm in Massachusetts. And so John's program is based in Worcester, Massachusetts. And I was living at the time about 10 minutes from Worcester. So I went through John's program at the UMass Medical Center. And my insurance at the time paid for the entire program. It really was so many blessings falling into place at one time. Incredible. So you know John, you know him personally then? Yeah, I've met him. And of course, being at the mindfulness center that I currently work at, uh, when John was on retreat, he shares a story that he was on retreat at the meditation center that I work at in the building where I have my office. And in that moment is when he started to realize that mindfulness could be used in medicine. And that was really the beginning of his whole program right there on a retreat. Incredible. And now it's really gone worldwide, hasn't it? Completely. It's global. It's all over the place. And working at the center, I see people that come into the meditation center and they come on retreat from all over the world. And they are taking the work that John started so many years ago and making a difference in healthcare, in in the medicine, in schools with children all over. It's just mushroomed out completely. It's exploded for sure. Yeah. I'm wondering what point in your life you realized that organizing was your thing, because there are some of us who are mindful, but we may not be all that great at organizing. Tell me when that connection was made in your mind. I've always been someone who likes organization. I've not always fully understood how to organize things, but I can look back to being a child and putting posters on the wall, rock and roll posters. And if I had, you know, a large two foot poster on one side of the window, it just balanced to have one on the other side. And so I started at an early age to see that organization around just the aesthetics of things made a lot of sense. And as I've gone through the years and especially working at the meditation center as somebody who is the facilities manager there, my role really is to care for the physical space when people come on retreat. And so I work with the housekeeping and the maintenance and the groundskeeping. And I've seen that connection between the organization and mindfulness and how organization can support mindfulness and how mindfulness can help us to organize. And that's very clear in your podcast when you interview your guests and when you give us tips and ideas about how to become more more organized mindfully. That is really helpful. Absolutely. I'm wondering if we can move over into your personal life a little bit, Mark. Tell us how you use mindfulness in the context of your own personal life. Yeah, it's it's changed over the years. Uh, if I go back to the 90s when I first started learning about mindfulness, it was something that I would, as you said, you know, you read books and things like that. And I would go on meditation retreats. I would do, I did weekend retreats. I did some nine and 10 day retreats of silent meditation where it's a pretty basic day where people just, you know, you get up as a group in the morning and there's a, a meditation for 45 minutes and then there's a meal and then there's walking meditation meditation and sitting meditation all throughout the day and really enjoyed and found great, great joy in being on retreat, allowing that time to just be still, allowing those moments to just unfold however they want to unfold. And 
I loved retreats. I, I really, I describe them as like candy. There's a sweetness to it. There's mm-hmm. a, a real like, oh, this is fantastic. And I know others experience other ways of mindfulness too, seeing a lot of pain and suffering and things like that and, and noticing that and working with it. But for me, it was this real calming and sense of stillness that I really enjoyed. And over the years, as I've started working at the meditation center, I really saw that it went from that formal meditation practice to taking it into my daily life, that caring for and being responsible for the physical center really didn't allow me a way that I felt that I could disconnect from that to then being on retreat at that center. So I've taken my mindfulness from the cushion and brought it into my daily life. And it's fantastic as well to be surrounded by, you know, there'll be a hundred people on retreat. That for me is a great reminder to be in the moment as I'm walking through a building and there are people practicing walking meditation or they're sitting and practicing mindfulness to allow myself to come back to the moment. And so now my practice is a lot around being in the moment in my daily life and using it in my speech to be as mindful as I can of my speech so that am I saying things that are appropriate and necessary at this moment? Am I using harsh speech? Am I being kind with my speech? And so really taking mindfulness into my daily life, taking it off the cushion and using it every day as much as I can. Right. So interesting. And I've talked to a lot of different people who have gone to retreats and they almost always tell me positive feedback about how much they've enjoyed it. But I wonder if you can describe even a little bit more about that feeling. You you described it a little bit already, but does it add to your sense of confidence? Does it add to your sense of self? What is that feeling when you finish a retreat, maybe a nine or a 10 day retreat? Well, I think that there's that feeling of I have to let go of this, really? <laughs> like uh-huh. I just want to stay there. There's a a safe kind of space that you get into and that it's it's nice to hold on to but of course the reality is we have to go out into the into life and take on all the challenges because we can be on the cushion and be mindful and and that's fantastic but when you get in the car and you're driving down and somebody cuts you off that is when the mindfulness those those moments on the cushion can pay off big time and so for me that's really been the challenge to take it and bring it into my daily life so that I can be on retreat and I can enjoy those moments as much as possible but then as I leave keep it with me in a sense you know because it's always there especially you know I use the breath as a way to be mindful so I know that wherever I go <laughs> odds are I'm going to be breathing I <laughs> right. hope I you really hope so, so. And so that for me is is a great reminder that even right now as I'm speaking, I can be aware that the body is breathing. And that just brings me into this moment. It drops me out of my head and brings me back down into the body, which then just grounds me and brings me so much more in the moment. I'm sure our Mindful Tribe listeners are so motivated by what you're saying about mindfulness because it really brings it home to me as well as you talk about it. I'm sure you have lots of examples of how mindfulness has improved your life and helped you out. But was there ever a time when you felt like mindfulness was just not working for you where you were thinking, is this really legit? Did you ever have moments like that? That's a good question. I've not thought about that. I don't recall anything. I think that I've always seen 
that mindfulness has been supportive of everything that I do, that it allows me to enjoy what it is that's going on in my life, even the difficult things. And not to say so much that there's an enjoyment to the difficult things, but that there's an understanding and there can be a learning from those difficult moments, sometimes more than the joyful moments that we can take away and really grow and improve from that moment. I understand you're releasing a new book soon called Organize Mindfully, Seven Steps to Create and Maintain Order in Your Life. Can you tell me more about your book and how that came about? Well, sure. That's, it's actually not going to be released soon. It's taking its time. <laughs> uh, what happened is the plan was to, to write the book. And I've worked on probably about 70% of it, 80% of it is complete. And the intention was to create the podcast as a way to market the book. And so that was kind of the plan. And of course, as they say, you know, you can make plans all day long, but life will just kind of take over. Nice. So I was working on putting out the podcast to promote the book. And the podcast has taken off in a way that has just exploded and become interesting and exciting. And I'm just enjoying it so much. So the book will get there. (laughs) But right now, the focus has been on the podcast. I'm wondering what some of the most interesting things are that you've learned from your guests on your show. Wow. Well, the guests have shared so many different things. And I think part of it is that, first of all, just to understand that for most of us, we struggle when it comes to organizing and we struggle when it comes to mindfulness. And just seeing that allows a sense of, oh, I'm normal. I'm okay. So I think that's been a big part of it. And then, you know, the just hearing the different ways that people approach organizing and hearing the successes that sometimes people have with organizing has just been incredible to see. And seeing that the common thing that a lot of us struggle with is with our time and how do we take the time to be organized? How do we take the time to be mindful? How do we take the time to get to that point where we can practice mindfulness? All of that has been interesting to see with the podcast. Well, Mark, I've worked in bullying prevention for quite a while, and I'm wondering what you see as the connection. I know I've discovered a tremendous connection between mindfulness and bullying, but what do you see as a connection between the two? I think that it a big part of it is the stories that we tell ourselves that you know, we will bully someone else because of maybe a story of I'm better than or they are not as good or there's something different about them. Mm -hmm. But if we can be mindful, if we can just connect in, to me, that, that sweetness that I talk about with retreat, it also ties into just being present in this moment. There's great kindness and to touch that, it's hard to bully somebody in that moment when we notice that, oh, I'm suffering, you're suffering. Can we just connect on that level? Can we open our hearts to one another? That's really important to do that. And I see that mindfulness allows that as a way to connect and touch with that. Right, right. Good points. And I just want to ask you, if you have a story that involves bullying, either an adult or a child or someone who was bullied and then mindfulness possibly played a part? Not that I can think of. However, I will say this, that over the years, I've really started to notice that when I see something that feels wrong, like a, like a bullying situation or somebody says something that's harsh, 
what I've started to notice is through mindfulness, I stop and I acknowledge it. And this isn't right. What you just said was was not appropriate. And to have the courage sometimes to do that can be difficult, but it's important that we stand up as much as we can when we see somebody bullying or we see something wrong that we feel needs to be addressed. It's important to, to be mindful of it. So mindfulness is fantastic in the sense that it allows us to see that there's something that's going wrong in a, in a bullying situation. But then we have to have the awareness and the courage and the wisdom to take action, to say, this is wrong. And so that in itself is a mindfulness as well. So we have to let it go full circle and keep going. We can't just notice it, or we can, but it's important if we really want to make a difference to then step forward and say, no, this, that's wrong. Let's stop that right here. I'm so glad you addressed that because that is something that a lot of mindfulness believers talk to me about and they're just not sure of that fine line between just accepting everything and taking things as they are and speaking up for yourself when you really need to. So that's excellent that you addressed that. Mark, my next questions are part of my segment called the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first question. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? I think that really it's, it's a monk and he's no longer alive, but Ajahn Chah. Just something about the way that he shared mindfulness. And I've even noticed that those who have followed him, his disciples, those that have been in his temple... When they talk about mindfulness, I just go, mm-hmm, yep. Uh, it, it just connects with me for some reason. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or the emotions of your clients, the people you coach? I think that really mindfulness has affected it in a sense that it's allowed me to see it. And so to be aware sometimes that I might be charged and not necessarily react out of that charge, not to say that I wouldn't you know, just accept, as you said, just accept conditions. Oh, this is just the way it is. I'll just accept it. But to not react intently, instead, just react appropriately. Right. You've referred to breathing as being an important part of your mindfulness practice, but can you expand on how you use breathing for your mindfulness? Yeah, mindfulness and breathing to me, it's it's one and the same, that it's it's the way, it's the anchor. It's the way that I stay in touch with this moment. And so if I'm sitting on the cushion to really bring my attention into this moment, I'll just use the breath and just notice that I'm breathing. And sometimes it changes. Sometimes I notice it in the nostrils. Sometimes I notice it, you know, it's just the rising and falling of the abdomen, but wherever it is, I'll tune into that and use that as my anchor. And then as the mind wanders, which of course it will, and, and that's fine, as soon as I notice that wandering, come back to where I was noticing the breath and use that and just keep practicing with it. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, Mark, what would it be? That's easy. Going back to Ajahn Chah, A Still Forest Pool. To me, that is one of those books that it's short little bits and pieces from his teachings and you can pick it up and read a page or two and that really completes that whole little mini chapter. And I love that book. It, it's just wonderful stories. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? 
I don't have an app that allows me to be more mindful. Although most recently I have been using an app for the Pomodoro technique and that has been something for business side is allowing me to be more mindful and stay in the moment because I've been seeing that for bringing mindfulness into business and into work, it's so easy to get distracted with so many different things hitting us, especially with the internet, that staying in the moment and using a, an app that allows us to just keep staying with this moment is very important. Right. What advice would you give a person who is new to mindfulness and wants to start using it in their life? Well, I can tell you what I would do and, and kind of what I did is find a group of either like-minded people that you can get together with on a regular basis, whether it's a small sitting group at a church or somebody's home and connect with them. And also, I found it helpful in my life to find either a book or a teacher that I can connect with. It allows me to not get distracted and go out and try and read, you know, 150 different books. But to find one teacher that I can connect with, it allows me to be a little more focused. Right. Tell us a bit more about the retreat center where you work. You've talked about it a little, but what is your day-to-day work there? So it's the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts, which was founded by Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg and some others. And as the facilities manager, really my role is to make sure that the facility, the the physical space is available for people to practice mindfulness. And so I've had the great pleasure of being there over the past, you know, almost decade and working with contractors and bringing them in. And we've renovated parts of the space. We've put up a, a 28 room dorm building. We renovated a 30 room dorm building. And it's really been exciting to be a part of that because I used to go there on retreat and I fell in love with the space and how it allowed people and myself to just go there and practice. And so to care for that space, knowing that others get to come in and practice mindfulness, it's really a gift. It's, it's really been a joy. I'm interested in some of the work you did before you started there at the center. Have you been involved in lots of different careers or have you always been involved in mindfulness? Yeah, I've done, I was a real estate agent for a number of years. I own my own real estate company. I've worked for others in in selling real estate. What I found is I really didn't like the sales part of it. It Mm -hmm. just felt like I'm a very kind of logical person. So if you tell me you want a three bedroom house with two and a half baths and you want it in this neighborhood, when I find it for you and you say, "Mm, it just doesn't feel right. It's like, but wait a second. (laughs) (laughs) I found you exactly what you described, but, and I get it. I know what that's like to want it. It's, it's one of those things that you can't sell somebody a home. They either like it or they don't, and they just know it when they see it. So I did real estate for about a, about 12 years. I was licensed as a real estate agent, and I've done fundraising for the Easter Seal Society. I've worked at a number of them around the country. It was really fun and exciting to make a difference in people's lives and to help. I would be in charge of organizing special events, raising money and things like that, and that made a huge difference in people's lives, and I, I greatly appreciated that. 
I've done construction in my life, and uh, I have worked on uh, a construction crew where um, a couple of us were mindfulness practitioners, and so there were no radios blaring. It was it was really a unique work environment to go to a job site and not have you know the loud rock and roll stations playing all day long, but to have it quiet. And there were actually moments where we would at lunchtime just sit for a moment didn't last that long, but it was kind of fun that we would do that and, and just connect in that way. So we brought some mindfulness into that as well. Cool. I'm, I'm smiling as you say that because I'm having work done on my office studio right now and the contractors have a radio blaring just as you've described. And I thought, wow, that, that's too bad. <laughs> you know, like how, how do you listen to that all day long and not want to just shut it off? Yeah, it's been interesting as the facilities manager, you know, as I mentioned, we did a 28-room dorm building and we renovated a 30-room dorm building. We have a a dining room addition going on now. And to understand and try and explain to contractors that, okay, you're going to come in. It's a silent meditation center. Of course, we'll make noise. Tools have to make noise and things like that. But you can't have radios blasting. It's a shift for people. Mm -hmm. It's a real shift. And I think that that's a gift in a sense that we're offering them by – making them do that. We can't have radios blasting while people are, you know, there's a hundred people practicing a, a retreat. Right. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Why do you think most of us feel better when we're organized? Wow. Good question. Um, I think that we just feel better because that's the way it should be. You know, if you go out into nature and you walk through the forest even when there's trees that have fallen down and things, there's an order to it. And I think that we like natural order. I think that we like space. You know, I think that for most of us, and, and of course, not everybody, but for most of us, if you were to go to the top of a mountain and just look out and see that space and that openness, there'd be that sense of, ah, and we just want to take it in. Whereas I think the busyness and the clutter, that just, I think, also clouds our mind and our thoughts. We can't process all that information at one time. I see it on television. I I don't watch television on a regular basis. I don't have, you know, a TV at home. But I know when I go places and I see it, especially the news, you watch the news that's going on in the, the the anchor is telling you the story. And at the same time, there's a scroll going on down below telling you about upcoming news and maybe up in a corner, it's giving you the weather and then the time is over here. There's a lot going on in the world. And that that's all clutter in a sense. And I think that as we just simplify, as we just connect into this moment, we don't need all of that. We just need to watch the trees as they're moving, or we just need to watch the bird as it flies in, that that in itself is so rich and so important. And that is more important. And those are the things that we'll remember at the end when we're laying there at the very end of our life. If everything went perfectly and we're able to be present in the moment at the end, we're not going to sit there and remember what was going on on the television in those 15 bits of information that are coming at us, but we will remember holding a special person in our life and holding their hand or hearing the laughter of a child or hearing the, the, the voice of our parent or whatever it may be. Those are the important things in our life. That's what's important. And to me, that's where we should be spending our focus. 
Mark, it's been such a pleasure to spend this time with you today. I'm certainly inspired by the work you do and how many people in this world globally you help every day because we're listening to you all the time. I uh, just want to ask if you have a closing thought that you'd like to share with us. I think the closing thought is just spend time, notice and take a moment to just be present and then touch in with what's important for you. You know, I talk about it with organizing. Notice before you even begin, because we get into do mode so often, just notice what is my intention here? What would I like with this outcome when it comes to organizing this closet or whatever it may be? And the same is true of our life. Take a moment. It will be so valuable if you just stop for a moment and be mindful and say, what would I like to do for the rest of my life? What's important to me? And from there, we can start to go forward. Great thought. Mark, how can Mindful Tribe contact you and learn more about what you do? The easiest way as I organize things and keep things simple is just go to organizemindfully.com. From there, you can connect on all the social media or just send me an email. Excellent. Well, like I said, it's been such a pleasure to have you here. All the best to you, and we'll certainly be tuning into your show. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Bruce. I appreciate what you're doing with your podcast. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.